Hi folks, this is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books, So Little Time. Today we're going to continue Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables with Chapter 19, A Concert, A Catastrophe, and A Confession. Cue the music! Ah, how are things today, Rue? That sounds insincere. Well, I, I, I'm just thinking of something that's a thought that's popped into my head. I was at a conference yesterday, and data was being shared, and there were no labels on the axes. So there was a lot of information being conveyed, but no one, like, so a bunch of numbers are being shared, but we don't know what they actually mean. Was that is intentional? This, no, it was like, is this a number of people? Is this the number of responses? Is this an, a scale? Is this an average? There was no information. So I was just thinking, uh, I'm, like, I'm tempted to use a podcast for a moment to say, please, for the, for the love of clarity and actually conveying information that is useful to others, label your axes always. Label everything, really. Well, yes, but especially if you're if you're sharing information or you're sharing data or anything that you're hoping to to help others understand what is going on, then you can't share half the information. You need to actually share the whole thing. It'd be like giving someone directions to saying, "Oh, we're going to have a picnic at such and such park." But not saying, I mean, say we didn't have more information than that available and the, the park wasn't listed as, listed as that name. That Maybe there's more than one of those parks. Maybe there's five Smith parks. We don't know. But if you don't specify which park you're talking about, it, mm. the, the, what? what? Mm. You know, Smith Park on the north or Smith Park on the south or Smith Park on the east or west. Yeah. Like, specify. Otherwise, it, it's... Uh, a better example, where do you want to meet? The Gold Coast. Yes, that's not helpful. So not helpful. You know, the the Starbucks at the Gold Coast. Well, now, to be fair, there's fewer options for Starbucks now. Uh, at least in the Coast. There is greater than one. But yes, yeah. So, so basically, please label your axes. That has been my weekly pet peeve. Um, well, lifelong pet peeve, but <laughs> for this week, the thing that's been... Preoccupying my mind. Hey, we're not talking about the weather. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. So, uh, I forgot what happened last week in Anna Green Gables. So, Anne, we had, um, we had Anne initially uh, returning to school, having new zest oh, of life. She she saved Diana's sister's life. Yes. That's what happened last time. Yes. So initially, she first she went to back to school, um, and being in school has kind of kept her occupied and busy in her mind. I mean, she still misses Diana continuously, but she was at least finding some welcome or acceptance by others, but not the same level um, as her friendship with Diana. Mm. And then she saved Diana's sister. Yes. And it was a very close thing, too. Yes. And the doctor actually informed the parents um, that it was extremely, like, that had Anne not been there, 
yeah. uh, Minnie Mae would probably not have survived. In fact, likely not have survived. And I like how Anne mentioned that because she had to those three sets of twins she looked after for the uh, for Mrs. Hammond. Yeah. Yeah, they all got group. Was it group? Group. 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 Yes. So they they so she because she um, you know she she had had some less than positive memories of dealing with um, the three sets of twins, but she also acknowledged that it was an advantage that she had had that experience with babies with croup before, so she mm-hmm. knew what to do to bring out the ipecac to keep um, Minnie Mae warm and yeah. yeah. So it was good. It was good. Yeah. So so. Things are kind of back to normal. It, it, it's almost like um, so many of these chapters are like episodes of a sitcom where everything resets at the end. Yeah, except it, it, it's not that it goes back to its initial point. There's growth. There's learning. So mm-hmm. even with Marilla and with, I think, uh, Mrs. <coughs> Barry has definitely learned a lot. So maybe more like a modern TV series where I, I imagine, you know, I haven't watched a sitcom for, oh, no, I've watched, I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine and that's g- general sitcom, like the, the relationships kind of reset at the end of every episode, but throughout the seasons, the characters grow and shift and change. And mm. Yeah, I think it, maybe, yes, this is like the foundation of, of the, that kind of um continuation of a story that comes back and resets but it's it's i think we're going to see growth as it as it as that happens but yeah lots of crises lots of little crises and lots of getting through the crisis but yes yeah, so today we have a concert a catastrophe and a confession which is a nice bunch of alliteration i love me some alliteration mm-hmm so, um, shall we get started? Sure. Marilla, can I go over to see Diana just for a minute? Asked Anne, running breathlessly down from the east gable one February evening. I don't see what you want to be traipsing about after dark for, said Marilla shortly. You and Diana walked home from school together, and then stood down there in the snow for half an hour more, your tongues going the whole blessed times. <laughs> Clickety-clack. So I don't think you're very badly off to see her again. Oh, but she wants to see me, pleaded Anne. She has something very important to tell me. How do you know she has? Because she just signaled to me from her window. We have arranged a way to signal with our candles and cardboard. <laughs> we set the candle on the window sill and make flashes by passing the cardboard back and forth. So many flashes mean a certain thing. It was my idea, Marilla. <laughs> I warrant you it was, said Marilla emphatically, and the next thing you'll be setting fire to the curtains with your signalling nonsense. Oh, we're very careful, Marilla, and it's so interesting. Two flashes mean, are you there? Three means yes, and four, no. <laughs> Five mean, come over as soon as possible because I have something important to reveal. Diana has just signalled five flashes, and I'm really suffering to know what it is. So what does one or two flashes mean? Yeah, that was one flash. I've set up the candle. <laughs> two flashes. Uh, well, two flashes means, are you there? So there's a meaning. It was three, wasn't it? Nope. Two, are you there? Three means yes. Four, no. That's, that's 
That's right. So that makes so if there's an accidental flash, it's not going to be confusing. I I think what threw me because of how funny I found it for three to mean yes and four to mean no. Yes, that's it. Oh yes. Oh no, she said no. (laughs) That'd be fun. Well, you needn't suffer any longer," said Marilla sarcastically. "You can go, but you should be back here in just ten minutes. Remember that." That's not going to happen. Anne did remember it and was back in the stipulated time, although probably no mortal will ever know just what it cost her to confine the discussion of Diana's important communication within the limits of ten minutes. But at least she made very good use of them. Oh, Marilla, what do you think? You know tomorrow is Diana's birthday. Well, her mother told her she could ask me to go home with her from school and stay all night with her. And her cousins are coming over from Newbridge in a big pung sleigh to go to the debating club concert at the hall tomorrow night. And they are going to take Diana and me to the concert, if you'll let me go, that is. You will, won't you, Marilla? Oh, I feel so excited. You can calm down then, because you're not going. You're better at home in your own bed. And as for that club concert, it's all nonsense. And little girls should not be allowed to go out in such places at all. I'm sure the debating club is a most respectable affair, pleaded Anne. I'm not saying it isn't, but you're not going to be gadding about to concerts and staying out all hours of the night. Pretty doings for children. I'm surprised that Mrs. Barry is letting Diana go. But it's such a very special occasion, mourned Anne, on the verge of tears. Diana only has one birthday in a year. It isn't as if birthdays were common things, Marilla. Prissy Andrews is going to recite, Curfew Must Not Ring Tonight. That is such a good moral piece, Marilla. I'm sure it would do me lots of good to hear it. (laughs) And the choir are going to sing four lovely, pathetic songs that are pretty good as near as hymns. And, oh, Marilla, the minister is going to take part. Yes, indeed, he is. He is going to give an address. That will be just about the same thing as a sermon. Please, mayn't I go, Marilla? You know, that's... um... That's a trick I remember using oh so very often as a child. This thing's actually really good for me. It's important. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those uh, mm, situations. Bit manipulation-ish. Yeah. You heard what I said, Anne, didn't you? Take off your boots now and go to bed. It's past eight. There's just one more thing, Marilla, said Anne, with an air of producing the last shot in her locker. Mrs. Barry told Diana that we might sleep in the spare room bed. Think of the honour of your little Anne being put in a spare room bed. (laughs) It is an honour you'll have to get along without. Go to bed, Anne, and don't let me hear another word out of you. When Anne, with tears rolling over her cheeks, had gone sorrowfully upstairs, Matthew, who had been apparently sound asleep on the lounge during the whole dialogue, opened his eyes and said decidedly, well now, Marilla, I think you ought to let Anne go. I don't, then, retorted Marilla. Who's bringing this child up, Matthew, you or me? Well, now, you, admitted Matthew. Don't interfere, then. Well, now, I ain't interfering. It ain't interfering to have your own opinion. And my opinion is that you <laughs> ought to let Anne go. You'd think I'd ought to let Anne go to the moon if she took the notion, I've no doubt, was Marilla's amiable rejoinder. I might have let her spend the night with Diana if 
That was all. But I don't approve of this concert plan. She'd go there and catch cold, like as not, and have her head filled up with nonsense and excitement. It would unsettle her for a week. I understand that child's disposition and what's good for it better than you, Matthew. Well, I think you ought to let Anne go, repeated Matthew firmly. Argument was not his strong point, but holding fast to his opinion certainly was. Marilla gave a gasp of helplessness and took refuge in silence. The next morning, when Anne was washing the breakfast dishes in the pantry, Matthew paused on his way out to the barn to say to Marilla again, I think you ought to let Anne go, Marilla. For a moment, Marilla looked things not lawful to be uttered. Then she yielded to the inevitable and said tartly, Very well, she can go since nothing else will please you. Anne flew out of the pantry, dripping dishcloth in hand. Oh, Marilla, Marilla, say those blessed words again. I guess once is enough to say them. This is Matthew's doings, and I wash my hands of it. If you catch pneumonia sleeping in a strange bed, or coming out of all that hot hall in the middle of the night, don't blame me. Blame Matthew. And, Shirley, you're dripping greasy water all over the floor. I never saw such a careless child. Oh, I know I'm a great trial to you, Marilla, said Anne repentantly. I make so many mistakes. But then, just think of all the mistakes I don't make, although I might. I'll get some sand and scrub up the spots before I go to school. Oh, Marilla, my heart was just set on going to that concert. I never was to a concert in my life. And when the other girls talk about them in school, I feel so out of it. You didn't know just how I felt about it, did you? See, Matthew did. Matthew understands me, and it's so nice to be understood, Marilla. Anne was too excited to do herself justice as to lessons that morning in school. Gilbert Blythe spelled her down in class and left her clear out of sight in mental arithmetic. Anne's consequent humiliation was less than it might have been, however, in view of the concert and the spare room bed. She and Diana talked so constantly about it all day that, with a stricter teacher than Mr. Phillips, dire disgrace must inevitably have been their portion. So it's I'm actually th- thinking back here, where you've got... Matthew understands me. Mm. Yep. Like, mm. uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of... It, it is true, but it's also, she is careless. Marilla is right when she says she's careless. Yeah, Marilla understands her quite right, I think. But it, no, it's more that it's back to that idea that Matthew wants so little out of life that any time he kind of makes his mind about something, Marilla tends to relent more well, often than not. Yes, there's that bit. But the fact that Anne's kind of going... I felt left out. Everyone else knows what what it's like to go to a concert. I'm the only one who doesn't. So Matthew understands that. So it, it can well be that Matthew understands the motivation behind and going to the concert. Mm. That it's not just, oh, I want to do something because it's fun. She wants to do it because everyone else does it and she feels left out. And I guess Matthew can understand why it's important. Whereas Marilla's just going, oh, it's just... N- fan- uh, this nonsense it's just it's just for fancy yeah it, like if it's frivolous or if it's just purely for entertainment kind of thing but yeah so it, i think there's a difference but still to say it that way is just not very respectful it's not respectful it's also i think she lacks that awareness mm-hmm. and marilla's right she will get extremely excited as we see there's an impact on her Sadies, scholastic performance yeah. straight away 
Anne felt that she could not have borne it if she had not been going to the concert, for nothing else was discussed that day in school. The Avonlea Debating Club, which met fortnightly all winter, had had several smaller free entertainments. But this was to be a big affair, admission ten cents in aid of the library. The Avonlea young people had been practicing for weeks, and all the scholars were especially interested in it by reason of older brothers and sisters who were going to take part. Everybody in school over nine years of age expected to go, except Carrie Sloan, whose father shared Marilla's opinions about small girls going out to night concerts. Carrie Sloan cried into her grammar all afternoon and felt that life was not worth living. I guess this is going to be, this is like a town event. Exactly. It's a huge thing. For Anne, the real excitement began with the dismissal of school and increased therefrom in crescendo until it reached to a crash of positive ecstasy in the concert itself. They had a perfectly elegant tea, and then came the delicious occupation of dressing in Diana's little room upstairs. Diana did Anne's front hair in the new pompadour style, and Anne tied Diana's bows with the especial knack she possessed, and they experimented with at least half a dozen different ways of arranging their hair back. At last they were ready, cheeks scarlet and eyes glowing with excitement. True, Anne could not help a little pang when she contrasted her plain black tam and shapeless, tight-sleeved, homemade grey cloth coat with Diana's jaunty fur cap and smart little jacket. But she remembered in time that she had an imagination and could use it. Then Diana's cousins, the Murrays from Newbridge, came. They all crowded into the big punk sleigh among straw and furry robes. Anne reveled in the drive to the hall, slipping along over the satin-smooth roads, with the snow crisping under the runners. There was a magnificent sunset, and the snowy hills and deep blue water of the St. Lawrence Gulf seemed to rim in the splendour, like a huge bowl of pearl and sapphire brimmed with wine and fire. Tinkles of sleigh bells and distant laughter that seemed like the mirth of wood elves came from every quarter. Oh, Diana, breathed Anne, squeezing Diana's mittened hand under the fur robe. Isn't it all like a beautiful dream? Do I really look the same as usual? I feel so different that it seems to me it must show in my looks. You look awfully nice, said Diana who, having just received a compliment from one of her cousins, felt that she ought to pass it on. You've got the loveliest colour. The programme that night was a series of thrills for at least one listener in the audience, and as Anne assured Diana, every succeeding thrill was thrillier than the last. (laughs) When Prissy Andrews, attired in a new pink silk waist with a string of pearls about her smooth white throat, and real carnations in her hair. Rumour whispered that the master had sent all the way to town for them for her, climbed the slimy ladder dark without one ray of light, and shivered in luxurious sympathy. When the choir sang far above the gentle daisies, Anne gazed at the ceiling as if it were frescoed with angels. When Sam Sloane proceeded to explain and illustrate how Sockery set a hen, Anne laughed until people sitting near her laughed too, 
more out of sympathy with her than with amusement at a selection that was rather threadbare even in Avonlea. And when Mr. Phillips gave Mark Anthony's oration over the dead body of Caesar in the most heart-stirring tones, looking at Prissy Andrews at the end of every sentence, oh. Anne felt that she could rise in mutiny on the spot if but one Roman citizen led the way. Only one number on the program failed to interest her. When Gilbert Blythe recited Binging on the Rhine, Anne picked up Rhoda Murray's library book and read it until he had finished. When she sat rigidly stiff and motionless, while Diana clapped her hands until they tingled. It was eleven when they got home, sated with dissipation, but with exceeding sweet pleasure of talking it all over still to come. Everybody seemed asleep and the house was dark and silent. Anne and Diana tiptoed into the parlour, a long narrow room, out of which the spare room opened. It was pleasantly warm and dimly lighted by the embers of a fire in the grate. Let's undress here, said Diana. It's so nice and warm. Hasn't it been a delightful time, sighed Anne rapturously. It must be splendid to get up and recite there. Do you suppose we will be ever asked to do it, Diana? Yes, of course, some day. They're always wanting the big scholars to recite. Gilbert Blythe does often, and he's only two years older than us. Oh, Anne, how could you pretend not to listen to him? When he came to the line, there's another, not a sister, he looked right down at you. <laughs> Diana, said Anne with dignity, you are my bosom friend, but I cannot allow even you to speak to me of that person. Are you ready for bed? Let's run a race and see who'll get into the bed first. The suggestion appealed to Diana. The two little white-clad figures flew down the long room through the spare room door and bounded on the bed at the same moment. And then something moved beneath them. There was a gasp and a cry, and somebody said in muffled accents, Merciful goodness! Anne and Diana were never able to tell just how they got off that bed and out of the room, they only knew that after one frantic rush, they found themselves tiptoeing shiveringly upstairs. Oh, who was it? What was it? whispered Anne, her teeth chattering with cold and fright. It was Aunt Josephine, said Diana, gasping with laughter. Oh, Anne, it was Aunt Josephine, however she came to be there. Oh, and I know she will be furious. It's dreadful. It's really dreadful. But did you ever know anything so funny, Anne? <laughs> Who is your Aunt Josephine? She's father's aunt, and she lives in Charlottetown. She's awfully old, seventy anyhow, and I don't believe she ever was a little girl. We were expecting her out for a visit, but not so soon. She's awfully prim and proper, and she'll scold dreadfully about this, I know. Well, we'll have to sleep with Minnie May, and you can't think about how she kicks. Miss Josephine Barry did not appear at the early breakfast the next morning. Mrs. Barry smiled kindly at the two little girls. Did you have a good time last night? I tried to stay awake until you came home, for I wanted to tell you Aunt Josephine had come and that you would have had to go upstairs after all. But I was so tired I fell asleep. I hope you didn't disturb your aunt, Diana. <laughs> Diana preserved a discreet silence, but she and Anne exchanged furtive smiles of guilty amusement across the table. 
Anne hurried home after breakfast, and so remained in blissful ignorance of the disturbance which presently resulted in the Barry household until the late afternoon, when she went down to Mrs. Lynde's on an errand for Marilla. "'So you and Diana nearly frightened poor old Miss Barry to her death last night,' said Mrs. <laughs> oh, no, said Mrs. Lynde severely, but with a twinkle in her eye. "'Mrs. Barry was here a few minutes ago on her way to Carmody. "'She's feeling real worried over it. "'Old Miss Barry was in a terrible temper when she got up this morning, "'and Josephine Barry's temper is no joke, I can tell you that. "'She wouldn't speak to Diana at all.' "'Wow!' "'It wasn't Diana's fault,' said Anne contritely. "'It was mine. "'I suggested racing to see who would get into bed first. "'I knew it.' said Mrs. Lynde, with the exultation of a correct guesser. I knew that idea came out of your head. Well, it's made a nice lot of trouble, that's what. Old Miss Barry came out to stay for a month, but she declares she won't stay another day and is going right back to town tomorrow, Sunday, and all as it is. She'd have gone today, if they could have taken her. She'd promised to pay for a quarter's music lessons for Diana, but now she's determined to do nothing at all for such a tomboy. Oh, I guess they'll had a lively time of it there this morning. The Barrys must feel cut up. Old Miss Barry is rich, and they'd like to keep on the good side of her. Of course, Mrs. Barry didn't say that to me, but I'm a pretty good judge of human nature, that's what. I'm such an unlucky girl, mourned Anne. I'm always getting into scrapes myself and getting my best friends, people I shed my heart's blood for, into them too. Can you tell me why that is so, Mrs. Lynde? It's because you're too heedless and impulsive, child, that's what. You never stop to think. Whatever comes into your head to say or do, you say or do it without a moment's reflection. Oh, but that's the very best of it, protested Anne. Something just flashes into your mind so exciting, and you must be out with it. If you stop to think it over, you spoil it all. Haven't you ever felt that yourself, Mrs. Lynde? No, Mrs. Lynde had not. She shook her head sagely. You must learn to think a little, Anne. That's what. The proverb you need to go by is look before you leap. Especially into spare room beds. <laughs> Mrs. Lynde laughed comfortably over her mild dope, but Anne remained pensive. She saw nothing to laugh at in the situation, which to her eyes appeared very serious. When she left Mrs. Lynde's, she took her way across the crusted fields to Orchard Slope. Diana met her at the kitchen door. Your Aunt Josephine was very cross about it, wasn't she? whispered Anne. Yes, answered Diana, stifling a giggle with an apprehensive <laughs> glance over her shoulder at the closed sitting room door. She was fairly dancing with rage, Anne. Oh, how she scolded. She said I was the worst behaved girl she ever saw and that my parents ought to be ashamed of the way they had brought me up. She said she won't stay, and I'm sure I don't care, but father and mother do. Why didn't you tell them it was my fault? demanded Anne. It's likely I'd do such a thing, isn't it? said Diana with just scorn. I'm no tell-tale, Anne Shirley, and anyhow, I was just as much to blame as you. Well, I'm going in to tell her myself, said Anne resolutely. Diana stared. Anne, Shirley, you'd never. Why, she'll eat you alive. 
Don't frighten me any more than I am frightened, implored Anne. I'd rather walk up to a cannon's mouth. But I've got to do it, Diana. It was my fault, and I've got to confess. I've had a practice at confessing, fortunately. Well, she's in the room, said Diana. You can go in if you want to. I wouldn't dare, and I don't believe you'll do a bit of good. With this encouragement, Anne bearded the lion in its den. <laughs> that is to say, walked resolutely up to the sitting room door and knocked faintly. A sharp, come in, followed. Miss Josephine Barry, thin, prim and rigid, was knitting fiercely by the fire. Her wrath quite unappeased, and her eyes snapping through her gold-rimmed glasses. She wheeled around in her chair, expecting to see Diana, and beheld a white-faced girl whose great eyes were brimmed up with a mixture of desperate courage and shrinking terror. "'Who are you?' demanded Miss Josephine Barry, without ceremony. "'I'm Anne of Green Gables,' said the small visitor, tremulously clasping her hands with her characteristic gesture, "'and I've come to confess, if you please.' "'Confess what?' "'That it was all my fault about jumping into bed on you last night. "'I suggested it. "'Diana would never have thought of such a thing, I am sure. "'Diana is such a very ladylike girl, Mrs. Barry, "'so you must see how unjust it is to blame her.' "'Oh, I must, hey? "'I rather think Diana did her share of the jumping, at least. "'Such carryings on in a respectable house.' "'We were only in fun,' persisted Anne. "'I think you ought to forgive us, Miss Barry, now that we've apologised. "'And anyhow, please forgive Diana and let her have her music lessons. "'Diana's heart is set on her music lessons, Miss Barry, "'and I know too well what it is to set your heart on a thing and not get it. "'If you must be cross with anyone, be cross with me. "'I've been so used in my early days to having people cross at me "'that I can endure it much better than Diana can.' <laughs> Wow. Much of the snap had gone out of the old lady's eyes by this time, and was replaced by a twinkle of amused interest. But she still said severely, I don't think that it is any excuse for you that you were only in fun. Little girls never indulge in that kind of fun when I was young. You don't know what it is to be awakened out of a sound sleep after a long and arduous journey by two great girls coming bounced down on you. I don't know, but I can imagine, said Anne eagerly, but I'm sure it must have been very disturbing. But then there is our side of it too. Have you any imagination, Miss Barry? If you have, just put yourself in our place. We didn't know there was anybody in that bed, and you nearly scared us to death. It was simply awful the way we felt, and then we couldn't sleep in the spare room after being promised. I suppose you're used to sleeping in spare rooms, but just imagine what you would feel like if you were a little orphan girl who'd never had such an honour. All the snap had gone by this time. Miss Barry actually laughed. A sound which caused Diana, waiting in speechless anxiety in the kitchen outside, to give a great gasp of relief. I'm afraid my imagination is a little rusty. It's so long since I used it, she said. I dare say your claim to sympathy is just as strong as mine. It all depends on the way we look at it. Sit down here and tell me about yourself. I'm very sorry, I can't, said Anne firmly. I would like to, 
because you seem like an interesting lady, and you might even be a kindred spirit, although you don't look very much like it. But it is my duty to go home to Miss Marilla Cuthbert. Miss Marilla Cuthbert is a very kind lady who has taken me to bring me up properly. She is doing her best, but it is very discouraging work. You must not blame her because I jumped on the bed. But before I go, I do wish you would tell me if you will forgive Diana and just stay as long as you meant to in Avonlea. I think perhaps I will if you'll come over and talk to me occasionally, said Mrs. Barry. That evening, Miss Barry gave Diana a silver bangle bracelet and told the senior members of the household that she had unpacked her valets. I've made up my mind to stay simply for the sake of getting better acquainted with that Anne girl, she said frankly. She amuses me, and at my time of life, an amusing person is a rarity. <laughs> Marilla's only comment when she heard the story was, I told you so. This was for Matthew's benefit. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Barry stayed her month out and over. She was a more agreeable guest than usual, for Anne kept her in good humor. They became firm friends. When Miss Barry went away, she said, Remember, you Anne girl, when you come to town, you're to visit me, and I'll put you in my very sparest spare room bed to sleep. Miss Barry was a kindred spirit after all, Anne confided to Marilla. You wouldn't think so to look at her, but she is. You don't find it right out at first, as in Matthew's case, but after a while you come to see it. Kindred spirits are not so scarce as I used to think. It's splendid to find out there are so many of them in the world. That's a nice kind of mm. thought. Like she's kind of, I mean, there there are people. It's kind of how I like to look at the world. I mean, there are, I think I've come to learn there are personality types that no matter how much you want to like everyone, you, mm. you know, we, we all kind of clash with certain people. But I think the more you kind of open yourself up to others, you'll, you'll find those connections there. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that idea of there's people out there that, that there's a lot more warmth and kindness than what we sometimes realize at times, as long as we're, we're willing to look beyond the surface. And, and some people do have prickly exteriors and yeah. for all accounts, I mean, the, the, the writing built up Miss Barry to be a crotchety old woman. Yeah. 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 So we've, we've found there's a bit more to Miss Barry than make the eye, so to speak. So um, that was a shorter chapter than, than usual, but still moderate length. Um, so we'll probably not continue reading, but yeah, the, the next one looks like it's a little longer. Yeah. So, but they're like, it's interesting that we've had, <laughs> I like how she told Anna, even even my best friend, I need you not to talk to me about Gilbert. <laughs> so she's really, really... Mm, she, she, she holds her, her, her grief deep for, for that injustice that was... Well, I also like that idea of, yeah, that's kind of like the town's entertainment that every so often... Oh, we get to hear the scholars recite things. We have to put up with the master reciting Shakespeare at the girls he's making eyes at. Yeah. Um, but, which is weird because, you know, they talked about it being like a debate thing and no mm. talk of debating was actually... Yeah, so maybe they have debates another day, but this was like a concert that they held 
just mm. for that. But it, it's interesting how Miss Barry, again, for her, is entertaining. Just, I think maybe, has anyone sat down and had a conversation with her where they... Well, um, it also reminds me, I mean, um, culturally, you know, in, in Western society, we tend to um, ignore the elderly. Yes, although in this case, I don't think it's that she's ignored, but there's a bit of a, um, a miss, Mrs. Lynn said it, where she's like, um, old Miss Barry is rich and they're, they'd like to keep on the good side of her. There, there probably is a bit of that. Um, and may, maybe, and she's crotchy because she feels no one in her family is shooting straight with her. Yeah, and she's like, just tell it as it is. Like, it's obvious that you're, you're trying to, you don't disagree with me because you don't like. Basically, the, the that idea of yes men. Yes, you, you're, you're only tolerating me for my money. Yeah, appeasing that people are constantly appeasing as opposed to actually having a conversation. Whereas Anders kind of went, "Look, yes, I understand you were surprised, and it was it wasn't it was an accident. I shouldn't have encouraged this behavior." At the same time, imagine what it felt like for us. And also, just you know, because well, she said herself at her age, uh, amusing people were a rarity. Yeah. Um, but even maybe she respected the idea of this. 11 year old girl with her reputation to come in and take full blame for what happened yeah, being responsible responsible for her contribution and also being aware that had she kind of going i had i not encouraged her to do this she wouldn't have done this so but that but i like that mrs barry went look diana still did the jumping yep yep and miss, what mrs lynn said that as well or was it diana herself who uh, you know diana herself said it as well so between Di- diana's Diana has changed a bit as well. She's, I think she's never not, she's always been someone that takes responsibility for her own contribution, but it's, it's Anne is actually encouraging her to vocalize this. It's tough with, to say with Diana because we only met her post Anne when she came home and Anne, bec- Anne and her clicked right yes. away. That's, that's but she the first was, time. There was a moment where you could get an indication of, I mean, you, you had... We don't know if she ever had a bad bone in her body, but we have moments where her character was maybe like she overindulged. She's a bit gluttonous. She's a little bit like, oh, we, we're we've getting seen, hints. We've seen faults. Yes, we've seen faults, but we hadn't seen her take responsibility for the faults. Like even this thing that her mother was really upset previously. Uh, and, and she's like, I can't help it. I can't say anything. I can't do anything. I can't get them mm-hmm. to listen. Whereas now she's kind of adopting a more, as long as like as long as it doesn't affect my friendship with Han, I'm fine with this. It's, it's strange. Like it, it, there's something feels like it's shifted in Diana as well. There is another thing also, I really like. <laughs> um, I've really liked how uh, when Miss Berry uh, wanted to hear more about Anne, and it's like I would love to, but my duty is to Marilla. Yeah. She's raising me the best she can, and it's hard. But I need to go back and. Yeah, be responsible. Yeah. But so I think that's another part. Like she's she's happy to she might like like just seeing that that integrity, which is nice, especially as a contrast compared to a family that may or may not be just interested in her financially, as opposed to her character and who she is. Mm. And well, well, even talking on the wealth idea, how Anne said, you know, we thought I thought I was going to sleep in the spare bed, which is a big deal. I'm an orphan girl. No one's ever offered for me to sleep in a spare yeah. bed. 
Yeah, so it's it was, and I think there's there's a little bit of that, but it, yeah, the, I like how her she diffused Miss Barry just by genuinely sharing what it felt like and acknowledging mm. I I don't know I didn't go through what you went through, but I can imagine what it would have been like, mm. and I have I have sympathy or I have empathy towards your situation. Mm. And can you see my sadness? Yeah. Yeah, so it's really nice. In, there are moments in this chapter where we are like, oh, and that's a little bit manipulative. Little tiny bits like that. But then I like how Marilla's like, told you so, knew this is going to happen. This is not a good... <laughs> well, I think it all turned out for the best, but yeah, M- M- Matthew deserved that. <laughs> yes, a little bit. Definitely, a little bit. But um, on that note, Next chapter, when we when we resume, is a good imagination gone wrong. Oh, that could mean anything. Yes, many many things. Uh, well, you know, and the great thing is, uh, even us at the end of uh, each podcast, we're reading at the next chapter, and it makes me. I, I'm always happy to return to the book and like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen this yes, week. It's going to be good. Uh, not so that not so much was there with the previous book. <laughs> yeah, because when you was building up if, to pain. If if that had had chapter titles, I don't think I would have read them at the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, goody! Next week we get to see what's in room one hundred and one. Hooray! <laughs> but, yes. but but in this, it's a delight. It, it's it's that kind of uh, joyous anticipation. Yes, which is a good thing to have for um a book i think sometimes we as i said we need that in a book once in a while hmm. but yeah so on that note yep uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find me on twitter over at dave underscore the underscore turnip and i'm rumic moo that's r-o-o-m-c-m-o-o you can find uh the twitter and facebook page for our podcast at smb slt podcast and the email is smbsltpodcast at gmail.com the music at the top of the podcast was avonlea by Hagood hardy and the music at the end as always is i'm the slime by frank zappa Yay! so until next week we hope you've been enjoying the podcast we hope you're enjoying anna green gables as much as i am and i know rue's enjoying the reread as well so uh Please tell us what you think if you can. And until next time, happy reading, everybody. Enjoy.